Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen and with me are... Devinter Hardwar. Jeff Kanata. And joining us today, he's the editor-in-chief of SlashFilm.com and the host of Slash Film Daily, Peter Serretta. Welcome back to the show. Peter, how are you doing today? It's good to be back, Dave. It's not good to be up at 8 a.m. though. <laughs> oh man hey man i've been up for several hours already so yeah. this is, this is some nothing. of us yeah some <laughs> of us this is a a delightful weekend to sleep in <laughs> <laughs> we're recording this podcast live at 8 a.m on saturday morning uh and you can find more episodes of this podcast at slash filmcast.com email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com today we're going to be discussing some what we've been watching and then moving on into a review of the amazing jonathan documentary which is available right now on hulu a lot of interesting stuff to dive into there. Um, so looking forward to chatting about it with you, Peter Serretta, who is... By, by, by the way, Dave, uh, who is winning the summer movie wager this year? Like, are, are you winning? <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, you're really <laughs> wow. just going for the jugular. It's right out the gate. Yeah. Going for the jugular oh, right out the gate. But, I mean, the answer to your question, Peter, is I, David Chen, am in fact winning at this moment um, with 78 points. But it's looking well, I, like... I believe that- from Davindra and Mai's point of view, it's still anybody's game. That's my understanding. <laughs> Listen, anything can happen within the next two weeks. Anybody's game. It really, how could we predict the future? No one can. Wait, that, wait do both of you have 0%? Is that what it is? It's, that's yes, but that's yeah. only on paper. Um, <laughs> of course, you can always well, paper, follow. The, paper and algorithms. You, you can always follow the Summer Movie Wager at thesummermoviewager.com. And Peter is alluding to the fact that at some point this weekend, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to enter the top 10, beating out Godzilla, King of Monsters, which, by the way, I don't think is an outcome any of us saw coming. Not really, but and, I'm, happy, uh, I'm happy with that outcome, for sure. And uh, it's going to result in something very bad happening to my list of uh, summer movie wager picks. So uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what how that plays out. After that, uh, it's actually still uncertain who's going to win, but uh, we will see. We'll see. So in any case, this, is this year is coming down to the wire. It is down coming down the to the wire. The last couple weeks, I feel like most years, like we know who's going to win by the beginning of August. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not this year. Not still this anybody's year. game, right, Davinja? <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding out hope. <laughs> Speaking of people holding out hope. Listeners in Decatur, Georgia. For those of you who uh, have been listening to the Slash Filmcast for uh, the past few weeks, you know that uh, several listeners tr- tried to organize an ill-fated meetup at Dave, Twain's. Are we, are, we, are we doing another episode of Decatur Watch? We're doing another episode of Decatur Watch. So people basically, for those who don't know, like they, people in Decatur who listen to the podcast donated money. And you know, during the donation section, I pretty much read out whatever you want me to say short of uh, something very unreasonable. And uh, so people tried to use the uh, donation section of the podcast to organize a meetup in Decatur, Georgia. I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think what happened was somebody initially said, hey, let's meet at Twain's at 9 p.m., not actually thinking that people would actually show up to Twain's at 9 p.m. on a Friday night. And then people did and couldn't find people, and it was a disaster. So we did a retake where uh, I collected all the email addresses. They set up a little doodle poll. Do you guys know what a doodle poll is? It's like a, oh, sure. it's like a way oh, to sure. coordinate uh, schedules at doodle.com. And uh, they organized a meetup at Twain's. And uh, last night, 
it was successful. I see a photo uh, in, you know, I, I'll, I'll tweet this out from twitter.com. Yeah. Decatur slash coming through. Decatur. Of life and date and everything, I think. Like, it's, uh, yeah, it's cool. It's happening. Uh, Decatur. Twins. <laughs> well, my, my favorite thing is the first photo they sent me is of, you know, them gathered in a parking lot. And then there's a woman behind them fo- photo bombing them with a middle finger in the air. That's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, Decatur. Nerds. Classic Decatur, that's right. Uh, but uh, yeah. The thing about this, Dave, is that uh, the first time this happened, we got the report. Uh, I for, Forgive me for not remembering specific names, but we got the report that uh, the, the fella that showed up wandered around Twain's yeah. for <laughs> tens of minutes. Yeah, Furzan, I think, is who showed up, yeah. And they're tried, very confused, yeah. Tried to find things and then asked the owner about it and the owner or or the wait staff or someone asked a an employee there uh and the the employee was absolutely unaware that anything was happening at, at, at twain's but now see now the whole the entire staff has got to be aware yeah. what with all of the uh <laughs> photo bombing and paparazzi that was around that's that's actually the staff just coming out and giving them the middle <laughs> finger at the end. so whoever it was that 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 heard about this the first time just thinks that the the guy was off by like three weeks. That's all. Indeed. That's all he thinks it is. That actually happened to me once where I went to uh, somebody's birthday party. So uh, my wife is the keeper of the social calendar. And one day uh, we had, we had this like really kind of intense schedule where we were meeting a friend for dinner and then we had to go to a birthday party afterwards. So we actually scheduled the dinner at this place that was like relatively far away from us, from both parties, um, so that we could uh, be near the birthday party. And then uh, we show up at the birthday party and we're like, hey, is there a birthday party here? Where's, where's the birthday party? Uh, it turns out my wife had gotten the week three weeks off. Three wow. weeks off. So for a good 10 minutes, we were casting about in this restaurant asking wait staff. Where is the birthday party? And there was no birthday party. And then we actually said, I guess we'll be back in three weeks. And then we were back in three weeks and the people remembered us. So <laughs> I, that might happen, Jeff. That might I, would happen. Like to, uh, I would like to add my, my version of this same story. Please. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> we did the same thing, but it was a potluck birthday party at a, at a person's house. And we you just wandered through the house. and was like, uh, I guess... Guess nothing's happening here. <laughs> Worse, my wife uh, made lots of food for this potluck. Uh, <laughs> we dressed up, got the kids, got the birthday present, got out of the drove, got out of the car with all of the stuff, all the children, the uh, the the carrier of the kids dressed up. Yeah. Birthday present in that hand. whole process just takes an hour, just getting yeah, oh, the kids together. Yeah. Yes. Uh, an okay, entire well, uh, day. This is an entire day's worth of preparation, getting all of it organized, giant platters of food, carrying it, getting out of the car. Let me, let me ask you, at this door. point, at this point, when you're getting out of the car, do you sense something is wrong? Because usually when you're going to like a yeah. pot, like you see like 50 cars around or whatever, right? We hadn't been to this person's house in a long, long time. Uh-huh. Yes, there weren't cars around, but I don't it's know. It's ominously we, quiet. Are, There's nobody on the street. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> uh, walking up to the door. <laughs> <laughs> knock, knock, knock. Trays of food. Happy children. Dressed up nice. Birthday present. Knock, knock, knock. Hey. Hey, hey guys. What are you doing here? What do you mean what are we doing here? We're here for the party. 
Oh, that's next week. <laughs> okay. I guess we'll get back in the car now and attempt to eat all of this food ourselves. Yeah, we'll just stick it in the freezer. I mean, what you should have done was be like, can we can we just come in your house right now and eat this food together? Then we don't need to make food next week. No, they actually invited us. And they're like, well, come on in. We can. It's fine. We have the whole. And, and we were so mortified <laughs> that we, we were like, no, do not do not pity entertain us. You know, please do not. Do not invite us in out of <laughs> sheer pity. Uh, <laughs> Happens to everybody. You know, since since we're talking about uh, f- social faux pas, I, I have an- yet another story to share. If that's if that's okay, um, I feel like Dave, you've got a sitcom worth of stories we could <laughs> that we could just produce. So we have these. Th- this is a thing my wife and I still talk about. So there are these people who live in the same part of town as we do, right? And they're like, hey, uh, let's have a potluck with all the people who live near us. Let's have a potluck, right? So they invite us for uh, this potluck on a Friday night. And we had, and, you know, my, my wife texts them like, hey, what should we make? Should we make like an appetizer or an entree? And they said, yes. You know, so she's like, okay, I don't know what that means. <laughs> so she like makes this cool like spinach dish uh, that's a very cool like appetizer. And we head over there. And we bring stuff and think, you know, everyone's talking and whatever, and we're hanging out. And then I get this, like, it's like 7 p.m. is when we get over, 7, 7.30 p.m. when we get over there. And I have this horrifying feeling that sets in when, when, I, when I get over there, like about 10 minutes after I get over there, which is that, you know, at, at one point I lean over to my wife and I say, no food is going to be served at this, at this <laughs> Like, like they, they did not prepare a meal, you know what I mean? Like they didn't prepare like a main dish. Because right. you can kind of tell by how much like activity is going on in the kitchen, uh, whether or not something got a stew going or something. You know what I mean? Like when you go to someone's house, you can kind of tell like there's always like, oh, we got to put this in the oven or we got to take this out of the oven or whatever. And I could tell nothing was going on. You know, they just had nothing. Maybe the going on. maybe the pizzas are all going to be delivered yeah. very soon. Uh, there were no pizzas, and so I just said to my <laughs> wife, "Follow my lead," and she said, "No." I'm not going to. Um, Which is wise Smart. decision. Wise decision. I've learned that. But what time. I did yeah. at that point was I downloaded an app that allows you to create a fake phone call to yourself. Man. And uh, I triggered a fake phone call to myself. And I, I My got out of it. thing about this is you did that to avoid it looking like you didn't want to be there. But it probably took you... 20 minutes to download the app. Yeah. Dave, no, what, you right. your Three phone? what are you signing up? He's Three like minutes. standing Jeff. in the corner on his phone. He could have just like left. <laughs> <laughs> there, well, there were only like four groups, four like uh, parties there. So it wasn't like, I, I was, it was very yeah. conspicuous. You know what I'm saying? Right. Cause you're standing in the corner wor- working on your phone. <laughs> so anyway, I got out of there and I ordered Uber Eats. That's, that's the moral of the story. Um, that's- so you you took a very loud uh, phone call. What? Uh, yes, what? I do need to go. The house okay. is flooding. Is that what's happening? I mean, you're, you're telling not... me I have to leave now, but I'm having so much fun at this party with no food. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, here, here's a, here's an actual question. Okay, like if you're inviting people over to your house to entertain them, I I have a pretty like strict limit on how much time can elapse. From when they arrive to when at least some food is served, right? Like, I think depending on the hour that is happening. Yeah, I think it depends on the hour, Dave. Yeah. 
Well, and also, me, so, like, what you were invited for, if you were invited for a potluck, you, you probably expected no, food. No, but, like, but I, like I get that. hey, come over for dinner. Okay, come over for dinner. What do you think yeah. is an appropriate... In my opinion, yeah. a person like a person should not be there for more than an hour without being served food. That's my philosophy. Have, if, you're, if you're coming over for dinner, you got to have some uh, some finger foods. you got to have some chips and dips or something. For, for drinks, I like to start with drinks. Like, yeah, yeah. if an hour of drinks and conversation, you kind of move yeah, yeah, into yeah. the food. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's, that's right. But, like, sometimes you go over to a place and it's, like, two hours until they serve. The, and it's like, no, no, I don't, I don't think so. You know, I don't think so. What circles do you run in, Dave? <laughs> they sound like very hungry circles. <laughs> Extremely hungry circles. During this podcast recording, the Decatur guys sent in a full email describing what happened, and I do want to actually shout this out. We talked about this at the beginning, but uh, Jordan wrote in from Decatur. He said, The saga of the Decatur Twins meetup climaxed this weekend when seven Slash Filmcast listeners joined for an awesome get-together of drinks and conversation on Friday night. Some of us work in the booming Atlanta film industry, while others literally moved here in the, la- in the last month. I know we all agreed it was great to meet other film fans of the area. Uh, we plan on future uh, meetups, movie outings, podcast discussions, and board gaming. If anyone else in the area is interested, get on the Slack uh, for the Slash Filmcast. That's at slackfilmcast.com. We'd also like to formally invite Devinger to hang with us if he has time when he visits. So cheers to Dave, Devinger, and Jeff for doing what you do, making special human connections possible through the power of the podcast. So, oh, that's so great. And I'm also, awesome. I'm going to be in Atlanta in a couple weeks. So oh, maybe, snap. maybe we can make that happen. Oh, snap. Okay, I'm forwarding you this email right now, Devinger, so you can... Okay. You can uh, uh, maybe schedule another Decatur meetup. All um, right. So I, I just imagine Devinder showing up at this Twain's place and no one's there. No one's there. <laughs> and the cycle repeats itself. Talking, talking to the owner and the owner goes, oh, man, this is going to happen again. Three weeks from now. Come back, bro. All that is to say, I'm glad this Decatur meetup worked out. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, it, it actually is really cool that we have enough listeners in Decatur to uh, warrant a meetup. So glad you all uh, made it. And of, of course, people in the future should feel free to keep donating money if they want to set up meetups. Um, yeah. Nothing's and I think now officially uh, Twain's is the second home of the Slash Filmcast. Yeah, I think that's they're right. going to have a plaque and everything. Yeah. It's going to be great. All right, folks. Let's get into the actual show. Let's talk about what we've been watching this week. This week, I had a chance to check out Zhang Yimou's new film, Shadow. Now, this is a movie, uh, I'll re- read the plot summary from IMDb. To finally achieve victory over a rival kingdom, a brilliant general devises an intricate plan involving his wife, a lookalike, and two kings. Mm. That's the plot line for Shadow. Yeah. Uh, Another one of those movies. Yes. Yeah. Shadow is out on, on Blu-ray this week, and I had a chance to check it out on Blu-ray. And I have to say that uh, about an you know the movie's two hours long. About an hour into this movie, uh-huh. I had no idea what I was watching. I, I was That's like, exactly <laughs> how I felt. This is like, this what is, is a, happening? Yeah, this is like a Chinese melodrama. It's like the kind of things that my parents would watch, uh-huh. like you know, like period pieces uh, that took place in ancient China. And very, uh, very like specific court intrigue, like court very, intrigue, very specific. like just like, and and here's the thing: when I go to see a Zhang Yimou movie, like Hero, for instance, or the Beijing Olympics opening ceremony, I expect lavish production values. I expect ex- incredible choreography. I expect visuals that are going to take my breath away, and, and food at least an hour in. That's, <laughs> That's correct, Jeff. And uh, I did not get any of that 
in the first hour of this movie, or I got very little of that in the first hour of this movie. Most of the first hour of this movie takes place in one location. I'm like, what is this like a bottle episode of Zongyi Moon? Like, what what is happening? What is going on? I saw on here? this movie at like 11 p.m. at the IFC Center here in New York, and I was like, I I don't know if I'm gonna make this. Yeah, it's like I don't know if I'm gonna make it to the end of this film, because yeah. uh, it's such it's such like this over the top like overacted melodrama, and it's like it's, it's very gorgeous. old school. It, it definitely you, you, has an audience, yeah. but that audience is not me. Uh, and then. The first half of it gives way to a fairly spectacular second half yes. uh, it, that is like nonstop action and bloodshed, uh, and that uh, really pays off a lot of the buildup of the first half. Um, what I want from a Zhang Yimou movie when I watch one these days is, is I've already said, but like I want it to show me something I haven't seen before. Uh, I want it to show me like action, choreographed, or whatever in a way that is novel, and I definitely got that. I think the biggest testament in favor of this movie is that it makes fighting with an umbrella look badass. Mm -hmm. And that is umbrella difficult blades, to do. Yes. You know, uh, it's difficult to do, uh, but this movie managed to accomplish it. Uh, other thing I want to mention is also that, uh, like when I, when I watch a movie like hero, that is one of the most gorgeous films, gorgeous films I've ever seen. Like the colors in that movie are spectacular. And, uh, I was hoping for something similar to to that in this movie. This movie is definitely not that, but like the, the movie is almost in black and white, kind of. Yeah. But the the mm -hmm. black and white well, it's palette, called shadow. Yes. Yeah. Um, but the black and white palette serves the themes of the movie. It's very much about duality, right? It's very much about the two sides of a person, uh, the two sides of a specific situation, the two sides of humanity. Uh, and the yin and yang, black and white aspect of the movie kind of really helps to visually land that message. So mm -hmm. overall, I have to say I recommend this movie. It gets very intense, uh, and towards the end, it does get very, very enjoyable, and there is some great action in it. So uh, that is Shadow. It's available on Blu-ray uh, right now. I think it's also on video on demand. Uh, Devendra, you've also seen this movie, right? What do you think of the movie? Yeah, I did. Um, I will say, yeah, it's certainly one of those movies you got to stick with it. Uh, compared to something like Hero or even House of Flying Daggers, like I think those movies really got to their visuals and their action really quickly. Uh, this one takes its sweet, sweet time, but I do think it's worth it. And I have to say, the coloring too is really interesting because a lot of the backgrounds just look like uh, watercolor paintings at times like especially the yeah. uh the outside shots yeah, yeah uh there there's a lot of visuals we've never really seen before i think it's really worth it probably not the movie to bring like somebody who is not super into zhang yimo movies or like uh can withstand an hour of court intrigue because uh, i don't think the intrigue is actually that interesting um i feel like the movie could have i don't know focused all that stuff a little better but beyond that like uh, the second half is tremendous uh how about you guys have you guys seen Hero, at least, by any chance? The Jet Li Song Yimou movie? I have, yeah. I've seen Hero. What did you think of that, Jeff? You a fan? Boy, it's been a long time since I've seen it, um, but I remember really liking it. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I'm having a hard time remembering specifics of, of why, to be honest. <laughs> I just remember that movie being, uh, just sh the, the action in that movie being very revelatory and its use of color to be uh, yeah. breathtaking. It was insane. We were in college, Dave. Like I was importing, I imported a DVD from like from Hong Kong for like thirty bucks to get Hero like as quickly as I could. And I don't know if you were there when I was watching it, but it was certainly like a revelatory movie at yeah. the time. 
It's, yeah. it's just like I, it, I think it helped to push the the medium forward in terms of like what could be accomplished with uh, yeah. a, a wuxia kind of movie. And yeah. and Shadow is a, a wuxia epic. You know, it is very much old school in its style and its substance. So uh, that is the movie Shadow, and it is available right now on Blu-ray and video on demand. Devendra Hardwar, what have you been watching this week? Oh, I've been watching Mindhunter. The, se- the second season uh, came up yesterday on Netflix. And uh, I have to say, it's as good as ever. Um, I feel like I've only seen maybe three episodes at this point. But this season feels a lot more focused and a lot more energetic than the first one. The first two episodes are also directed by David Fincher. So you've got his like great uh his great style you know his great style that he brings to all these like police procedural things and you know mindhunter was a weird show to recommend because a lot of people couldn't really get past the first couple episodes i think that show found its footing like towards the second half so it is one of those things you kind of have to stick with i almost wonder if you could just jump into the second season of this show but i think you'd miss out on a lot of the great character growth and building and uh their conversations with serial killers from the first season. Like you kind of need that to see where the show is going. So maybe I think it's good enough to just say, if you haven't checked out Mindhunter yet, give it a shot. It's worth plowing through uh, some of the best performances for serial killers I've ever seen in anything. And I think this season, uh, you know, just from what we're seeing, uh, it's already hitting some notable names. Uh, people like, um, renowned serial killers i guess so it's really interesting to see how this show is approaching uh these people basically it's all about deconstructing the mind of a serial killer they basically invent the term during the show because it is all about figuring out how these people kind of work and think and i think that whole process is still really interesting in this season i've heard great things about this show uh and i kind of was waiting to see if it would get a second season before i started investing in the first oh wait you haven't seen the first no haven't seen the first season of mine i thought we talked about it that's really weird i you guys you guys specifically will <laughs> love Mindhunter. i will t- let me tell you that uh see i watched the first season which the first two episodes were directed by david fincher and then after mm-hmm. that it seemed like it was a sharp decline in quality. And then I, I kind of gave up, but I heard, like you said, I, I heard the second yeah. half was much I think better. the writing, like it, a lot of these shows really take their time to figure out who they are or like kind of what they're trying to do. But by the second half of that first season, um, I think the conversations with serial killers were getting really deep and interesting. The acting was just tremendous. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff. And also like the show just has a lot of people I enjoy seeing on screen. I really like seeing Anna Torf back uh, after Fringe. And also Holt McKelney, my my guy. I love this man so much. His great gritty face. I want it to always be on TV. So it's just like great for that. Have you guys ever seen the 2005 Rennie Harlan film Mind Hunters by any chance? Rennie Harlan? Yeah. Rennie Harlan did one? He he did a 2005 uh, film called Mind Hunters. Widely regarded as one of the worst films of that year. Uh, I can it imagine. Was, it got a 24% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the, the plot summary is FBI agent Jake Harris, played by Val Kilmer, escorts a group <laughs> of cadets to a remote island for simulation training. The cadets, under the leadership of JD, played by Christian Slater, will try to catch an imaginary serial killer within the island's elaborate facility. So, What could go wrong with that? Mine hunters. Uh, which is apparently very, very bad. Um, not to be mistaken with Mindhunter, the David Fincher Netflix original series. It's like um, Alien Aliens, you know? I don't think it's like that at all, actually. Mm, I think it's very okay. different than that. Well, it um, sounded like it, maybe. 
Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching? Oh, not too much, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I started Working Moms Season 2, Catherine Reitman's uh, charming little show, uh, Canadian show. Uh, I mentioned the first time I talked about Working Moms Season 1 that I it, have sort of a friendly relationship with Catherine Reitman, so take what I say with a grain of salt. But um, my wife and I enjoy the show. It is uh, quirky and fun and different and it has a weird tone that I find uh, fun. It's kind of, it's like super adult, but also kind of wholesome and, and goofy. Um, it's a little uneven as a show, to be honest, but I think the the performances, the casting is a little uneven, but Catherine herself is just so fun to watch and so charming. And she has her fingerprints all over the show. She directs it and writes it. And it uh, it is squarely about the lives that we're living right now <laughs> as, as uh, parents of young children uh, that are also trying to have uh, jobs and lives. So we relate to it very much. And I have become that thing that I used to uh, mock, which is the person <laughs> that kind of just wants to watch something light. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, you deserve uh, it, Jeff, at this point. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I I sit down at night with a few precious hours. I don't even know if I can say plural, but, uh, you know, this small amount of time that my wife and I have at the end of the day to sort of unwind and after the kids are in bed and watch something just for ourselves. And, uh, you know, we, we stare at the, the Chernobyls and the, uh, <laughs> and the mine you know, hunters, what, the mine hunters yeah. and, and all of the, all of the great shows that I want to watch. <laughs> but when push comes to shove, I'm just like, give me, give me the, light, fluffy, goofy thing that lets me smile and makes my mind not work too hard. And uh, this show does a great job of that. I, I don't mean to diminish it. Working Moms is, I think, a very charming, well, well-made well show for the most part. I, I think, as I said, a little uneven. But season two starts off in, with a really very uh, charming moment where it's a big flashback to uh, them young in the 90s or early 2000s, I should say. Um, and that's fun to watch. But Man, I just, I used to, uh, I had a, a girlfriend many years ago and her parents often said, I don't want to watch that movie because I don't want to work that hard. And I just want to be, I used to resent them and just think that I was looked down, thumbed my nose at that sentiment and how I've become it. And I, uh. I don't like that about well, myself. Here's a question, so here's here a question for you, Jeff, is you're clearly going through a time in your life when. Hey, let's let's go out and see Elite. Like it, it, this is what has happened to the podcast is right that like every movie now is precious. It's this is what it feels to me like, right? <laughs> is that like every movie is precious and like when whenever we see a movie that you hate or that is not interesting or whatever, it's like it's like squandered time in a way. Um, <laughs> That's true. Whereas That's before, true. you know, uh, I, I would it, it, it could theoretically be enjoyable to watch movies like Gods of Egypt. Now it's like <laughs> Uh, you every time you see a movie or watch a show, it needs to be something that like y- you have some level of interest or enjoyment out of, because otherwise, uh, you you have so many limits on what you can watch in terms of time that uh, it's just very precious. Uh, are you? That's true, and I I feel a little guilty about that. I feel like it's not fair to the audience, um, but it it has become my reality. The audience wants you to mainline Alex Proyas movies. No, um, the <laughs> the uh, but I guess one question I have is like, are you looking forward to a day in 
five to ten years when you will be better. able to start it watching shows like Mindhunter again? I hear it gets better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear both, so I don't know what to believe. I hear that people are like, oh, yeah, it totally gets better. And other people are like, no, this is it, man. This is it for the rest of your life. It's just different. It's just different things. Um, so I don't know. I, I would like to think that's the, the case. But yeah. Well, and also, also you could start watching things with your kids eventually, too, in a yeah. way. Like, I'm looking forward to that aspect of things. Devinger also, watched Mindhunter uh, with his daughter, I believe, is what yeah, happened. Yeah, she, she loves it. <laughs> <laughs> she's a big mind hunter fan she also weirdly she also loves mind hunters <laughs> um <laughs> uh i'm also i have to admit i i'm also a bit of a workaholic and and so it's i've, I've made my own bed in a lot of ways and uh doing the dungeon run has been just a massive uh, time commitment as well. And I put a lot of hours into, into creating that show. So it's, it's not, I can't just lay it all at the feet of my children, although <laughs> it's a lot their fault. Uh, uh, well, Jeff, we appreciate all that you continue to do for the podcast. And, oh, uh, I please, I'm not, uh, do not pity me. I, I will not take your, your, pity entertainment uh i i'm i it's a privilege and it's a privilege uh that i have an excuse to have to watch at least one movie every week but as you said it was it used to be the kind of thing where the movie we were reviewing was only one of several many things that i would watch that week so i think it 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 was less precious and it was less uh maybe i was a little less um yeah, I don't know. You used to watch uh, nonstop movies. You know, movies would be like growing on trees for you, basically. You know, yeah. Like, it was like movie, 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 movie. You I will say, like non-parents that. appreciate all the free time you have. Uh, use it as much as you can, because oh, yeah, God. things change so quickly. Y- you guys make it sound so appetizing to be a parent. It's not great. Oh no, turn back. <laughs> don't even. If, you, if, if there's a world where you cannot be one, I would enjoy that as long as you can. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right D- dave I, yeah. I do have a question for you what is that w- when is the last time we looked at jeff's contract like it, does it say in the fine print <laughs> in, in the fine print does it say that uh he only has to create a limerick for the featured review or like is it everything like it has he been not fulfilling his duties oh my yeah i mean first of all <laughs> i have a contract <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know I, I thought that was the whole premise of the no the I, was, I was i was trying to be funny too. The, the the well first of all the limerick thing is enforced by verbal browbeating and not uh contractually dave so, will just uh, leave this podcast after an hour if yeah. he does not hear yeah. a limerick threats like, threats of violence and or uh, just was just marching off and and, and never returning what's yeah. this i got a call i got a call in the middle of the podcast i gotta walk <laughs> oh sorry i gotta take this it's <laughs> 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 a call funny Oh, man. By the way, guys, speaking of the hellscape of parenting and overwork and everything, I want to tell you guys about something I found that's kind of helped make my life easier, and that's called CBD. And CBD is a great thing that's just kind of helps alleviate anxiety. I have to say, Feels is a company I've seen that uh, basically has the best CBD I've I've encountered so far. Finding CBD is a tough thing because I go to health stores here in New York and there's so many options. They're very expensive. Uh, the quality is all over the place. Fields is a company that has high quality premium CBD that they can just ship to your house. So no more fighting with the people at the health store. I'm really glad I don't have to deal with that. Have you guys tried CBD before? 
because it's something I found that's been, been very useful in my life. Dave, have you ever tried it? Yeah, uh, I have uh, started, you know, I've dipped my toe in, and I think I'm, uh, I, I need some more experience before I can really comment on, like, its long-term beneficial impact. But I, I'm eager to hear about your experience, Devendra. For sure. Well, I feel like I've always had, like, a low level of anxiety in my life, just like with so many things. And now with parenting and work and juggling everything we need to do for the podcast, it is nice to have a bit of relief. Uh, so CBD and feel CBD is something that you can just take. Uh, you put a drop under your tongue. Uh, you kind of let it sit there for a bit, and it just kind of lets everything mellow out. So I've been using CBD and C feel specifically uh, recently before I have to go on any like major flights, any travel, anything where life just feels like really hard, you know, and uh, you feel like you're going to get annoyed by everything. I take <laughs> feels. I took feels before I went to Taiwan. Right. And that is a whole uh, international trip you have to set up for. You have to wait in uh, uh, what the check in lines, the immigration lines, security lines. Uh, you take feels before that. And it just kind of everything just kind of goes. Nothing bugs me. And I really enjoy that. Uh, super great for travel, super great for like the, uh, I don't know, overall anxieties of real life. Feels has been great for that for me. Uh, they have real human support, which is something I found super useful because trying to figure out the best CBD for you is tough. Figuring out how much you need, what kinds of things you need is tough. Uh, they have a flight that you can order uh, that has different uh, strengths of CBD. So you can figure out which one is best for you. Maybe you'll want a stronger one to go to bed. Maybe you'll need a lighter one to just work throughout the day. It's nice to have all these options. And I just have to say, Feels has been the highest quality version of CBD I've found so far and the most convenient and easiest to use. So yeah, Feels has me feeling my best every day and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash filmcast and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S.com slash filmcast to become a member and get 50% off automatically taken off of your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash filmcast. Thanks to Feels for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Before we get to our review, we got to thank all the people who donated to the podcast. We had a couple donors from Seattle this week. Uh, big thanks to Dave from Seattle, who gave a very generous donation. Uh, not me. I'm not just donating to the podcast. Um, but uh, we also had a... It would be nice if you did. <laughs> it would be nice if I contributed every once in a while. It, it, we also got a donation from Jennifer, also from Seattle, who writes in, quote, Ever since my friend at Outlandish Beats introduced me to you guys, you've helped keep me entertained on my long ferry commute across Puget Sound each morning. Keep up the great work, and I'm looking forward to Dave organizing a Seattle Slash Film meetup sometime in the future. Decent idea, Jennifer. Thanks for sharing that. And yeah, for, the, for those who don't know, the Puget Sound area um, in, in, near Seattle, people basically live on islands, right? But they work in Seattle. So that, if you imagine, there's just a series of islands near here, and people just live on them. And then they take ferries in to work in the city or, or do things in the city. Um, and so sometimes their commutes are like hours long. I don't even, I don't know how people do it, but, um, some people just really like living on nice islands. So I know how they do it. They do it with the slash film cast. That's right. They do it also, with the slash film cast, which you can do. You can listen to it, uh, during those beautiful, gorgeous trips across the Puget Sound. Uh, and also we should mention Jennifer, uh, there is actually a Seattle slash film cast meetup. It's just in Decatur. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's actually at Dave's neighbor's house. You have to go there, but don't bring food. 
Alrighty. <laughs> Thanks for your contributions. If you want to support the Slash Filmcast, help us defray the cost of seeing movies and putting on the show, go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. You can also go to slashfilm.com, use the Slash Filmcast tab, and the PayPal links on the side of the page. Uh, we, of course, never want you to donate if it in any way causes you hardship. Uh, but if you have some extra cash, we'd love it if you threw it our way. If you want to support the show for no money, very simple. Go to the Apple Podcast listing of the Slash Filmcast. Leave a review for us. Leave a rating for us. Star rating just takes a second. Really does help a show like ours, especially with all the competition out there. Let's get to our review of the Amazing Jonathan documentary. Nothing you're seeing is real. Can you trust anything that a magician does? Do you remember the first email you ever sent to me? No. It's very short, very simple. So it ends with, if we just stick to the truth. What's your point to this? What are you saying, Ben? Put your hands together for Amazing Jonathan. The Amazing Jonathan sort of deconstructed magic. He was like a rebel magician. I loved him. I performed in over 100 TV shows, made millions of dollars, and everything came crashing down when I was told I had a year to live. It's not a joke. That was from the trailer for the Amazing Jonathan documentary, which is out right now on Hulu, and it was uh, directed by Ben Berman. I'm also going to say that after this episode is over, we're going to have a little... uh, uh, bonus for you, a little dessert for you after the episode's over. A conversation that Peter Serretta had with the director, Ben Berman, at the junket for the Amazing Jonathan documentary, uh, which was held at the Magic Castle, right? Right, Peter? That's a place where you are a member, correct? Yes, I am a magician member of the Magic Castle. I've uh, been doing magic all my life, uh, and I, I got to interview Benjamin or Ben, I'm not even sure what he prefers for a first name uh, there this week, as, alongside uh, Amazing Jonathan, and we'll put that uh, interview there. Uh, should, I, should I tell you about what, what I thought of this? Or let me give you my backstory, Dave. Give us a backstory, I, Peter. Um, well, uh, I've been doing magic since I was a kid, as I said. Uh, Amazing Jonathan is a magician I fell in love with at a very early age. I think uh, kids gravitate towards him because he's one of these court jesters who is breaking the rules he's doing uh you know stuff that's bloody he's doing stuff that uh seems cutting edge even if it isn't i mean he is actually he like he has you know he's talking about drugs murder sex like you know there's a lot of stuff in his act that is maybe not appropriate for kids but it is not in a way that it is not appropriate for kids if that makes sense it's also like it, the magic in the eighties, especially was this sort of staid thing, you know, that the David Copperfields, the very, um, the very controlled practiced yeah. choreographed thing. And, and that was cool. I was into that too. But then you see the amazing Jonathan and Penn and Teller also sort of happened at the same time where it's this, it's, it's more punk rock, right? It's like this high energy, crazy, zany, wacky thing that is, feels like it's bursting at the seams and isn't it isn't any of that. Um, it, it feels like he's just making it up as he goes. It's not a choreographed moment. It is not a beautiful thing. It's this this thing that's almost breaking in front of you. It's really different. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you bring up Penn and Teller because I would say Penn and Teller are the only comedy magicians that are probably better than Amazing Jonathan in the history of magic. Uh, comedy magic is a tough thing to do. Either usually you have a bad comedian doing uh 
maybe okay magic or you have an uh, okay comedian doing bad magic. It's usually not, you know, you don't usually get the best of both the, those scenarios. And I, I know Amazing Jonathan was more of a kind of a prop guy. He, I, I know Carrot Top gets a lot of uh, crap for being a prop comic, but he was like a prop uh, magician, comedy magician. Uh, but I just loved his specials on Comedy Central and stuff. Uh, and uh, as you see in this documentary, a, a few years ago, he was diagnosed with only like, like this this terminal condition. I, I don't know exactly what it is. Maybe you have it off uh, written down, Dave. But I believe um, it's cardiomyopathy is what he was diagnosed with. Yeah, and he only had a, a year to was told he only had a year to live. And that, it should also be mentioned that he's a uh, fame infamous practical joker. Like you can't be around him for more than a few minutes before he pulls a, pr- a prank on you of some kind. And uh, when he announced this, and you see you see this kind of in this documentary when he announced this, people actually didn't believe him. They thought it was a joke uh, that he was lying about this diagnosis and I, I know this is explored a little bit in this documentary um this documentary is one of two documentaries uh out right now about amazing jonathan's life I will, i'll say this i don't think either one really ex- fully explores his life and that's kind of uh, in his career which is kind of disappointing uh i'm not sure this movie is a great movie but i love how interesting it is and how much it, uh, the tw- it takes some interesting twists and turns. Uh, it, uh, it amazing. Jonathan as a magician deconstructed the art of magic. And I feel like this documentary deconstructs the, the process of making a documentary. Yeah. So I, I think th- it's interesting in that way. Yeah, I think that's uh, right. And we should mention uh, that this movie, The Amazing Jonathan Documentary, is available on Hulu right now. The other documentary you're referring to is called Always Amazing, and it is available on YouTube for free uh, and just crossed 500,000 uh, views on YouTube, actually. So uh, there's there's two competing documentaries out in the world right now, which is a, to- a topic that is broached in this documentary. But we'll get to that in spoilers. I mean, this is one of the few documentaries I feel like we actually do need to have a spoiler section because uh, there, there are a lot of twists and turns. There are a lot of de- developments to the story. Uh, and I hope people have a chance to check it out because I think it really is... Uh, not only an interesting look at The Amazing Jonathan, but also really what it is, in my opinion, this movie, The Amazing Jonathan documentary, is an examination of the art of making celebrity documentaries. Right? I, I really think that mm-hmm. it's, it very much wants you, the viewer, to think about what it is like, what it means to chronicle someone else's life, and the way in which you would go about doing that how the camera changes the story. Like when you're studying something, the camera changes the story. You know, you, the presence of the filmmaker changes the story. And so many documentaries do not go into that at all, right? So, so many uh, documentaries in general and also celebrity documentaries, it's like, oh, the, the person is invisible in the corner. Like they, we don't know who they are. Um, they are uh, a impartial observer of all these events that are going on. Uh, it, to me, that is how many documentaries are presented. And this one is like has no time for any of that. It's like, you know, I, I am not only going to show you the impact that my presence makes on the life of this person. 
Uh, I'm going to show you the impact that this person's life has on me, the documentarian, and make myself a subject of the movie. And I ultimately agree with Peter. I'm not sure it's a great movie. Um, but it is a really interesting one. It got my mind spinning about a lot of things. Devinder Hardor, what do you think? Uh, yeah, pretty much with you guys. Like, it's really entertaining. That's for sure. I yeah. think along the way, like I was never quite bored and the twists are really interesting, but it is, it certainly, it feels like it breaks some fundamental rules for documentaries too, which it, this is a tough thing, right? Cause you can do that. You can make something innovative by kind of assuming some of the rules of the, of the genre or something and just do things your own way. But I also feel like, you know, as, as somebody who does journalism, this feels like not good to all of a sudden this movie becomes about the director and the director's issues. Like it, it feels like a documentary made for vlogging culture where everything is just whatever subject you're talking about kind of wraps around back to you. Uh, have to say though, it also sounds like this was kind of one of the only ways this guy could save this documentary. Cause if he went at it straight, uh, he probably would not have a movie. And there are certainly some things we talk about in spoilers. Uh, just wanted to say too, by the way, um, I do feel like Amazing Jonathan, I've, looking at some of these clips, I've probably seen some of his stuff like in the 90s and as I was growing up. But this is a guy I have not thought about in like 20 years, you know, or 25 years. Like when you guys want to watch this documentary, I really had to like exercise <laughs> my cultural muscles to figure out who this is. And it's like, oh, yeah, I remember him sort of. Uh, so it is kind of funny to see. Um, I can understand like Jeff and you know Peter, like you guys are magic types, but I'm seeing a lot of people online too talking about like, oh yeah, I've always loved him. He's as big as Penn and Teller, and that it, it is a weird cultural thing for me, just because it was always outside of like I guess what I typically saw and experienced. So it is cool that uh, this guy is kind of getting his. Uh, you know, a new blitz of publicity, a cool, interesting documentary that's not quite a normal documentary. I just feel a little blindsided because, like, yeah, I have not thought about this guy in so, so long. I have a moderate interest in uh, magic. And I remember seeing The Amazing Jonathan uh, on, like, what, America's Funny Some Videos? You know, some – all those shows in the 90s, like, late-night talk shows, uh, I I was a fan of his work back then. Um that pencil yeah, he had gag a comedy still gets special. Me. Yeah, mm -hmm. he had a Comedy Central special that was like I, I feel like it played on repeat at night on Comedy Central. Like it was like on all the time. Yeah, uh, and that that pencil gag he does still gets to me. Like he's somebody who I remembered fondly, and I, I always kind of appreciate the opportunity to go back to uh, a character that had some role in my life in my youth, and then kind of see where uh, where they are and how they're doing today. Jeff Kanata. What did you think of the Amazing Jonathan documentary? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts about the Amazing Jonathan documentary are best summed up in the form of a limerick. A performer who managed to pass the time he was expected to last, the drugs and the dread are enough, but instead, watch a movie crawl up its own ass. <laughs> well I, done. Well done. I hate this movie. Whoa. I hate it. I hate it. And I, I, I apologize in advance uh, if Ben Berman is listening in any, in any way. Uh, I know that he's had some contact with, uh, with Peter. Uh, I'm going to say some very harsh things, but I, I hate this movie. Um, I was very excited to see uh, a documentary about Amazing Jonathan. And I think DaVinci put it very well. I mean, this is, this is 
vlog culture does a documentary and it is, I think it's atrocious. I think it, it, it becomes this narcissistic journey down a hole of, of, uh, of, of self-obsession, uh, for the filmmaker. And it, it is spawned that whole Avenue is spawned by the most stupid thing I can imagine. I don't know how much I can talk about outside of spoilers, but yeah, I had a rant. I, I don't know. Spoilers I, that should do, but I, I, yeah. I truly despise where this movie goes and how it, why it goes there and w- the result of it going there. And, um, the, the journey along the way I found to be self-involved and, um, useless and uh, a wait there's a moment where the amazing jonathan goes you're wasting my time and i went thank you amazing jonathan thank you for saying what i'm thinking <laughs> which is because, by the way it feels like a lot of documentaries like uh, i watching them i feel like that too what do you, yeah, what do you mean by that Demindra? Me- what, what, what do you mean by that i think who was it was it marin who had that whole thing about like enough documentaries yeah enough this movie <laughs> yeah yeah that that whole thing I I kind of feel that just because uh, here's the thing. Like, I love hearing about the inside stories of interesting people, but like, especially something like this too, is like, oh yeah, amazing Jonathan. I remember him. I guess it was a big thing. I'm not, you know, I don't mind too much that the people who liked him get like a movie to explore his impact and everything, but this movie isn't even that. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like in general, documentaries have to like pass a threshold of interest. This movie is the inverse of Icarus. (laughs) <laughs> which is a movie I very much loved. Yeah, Icarus. Yeah, yeah. Icarus is a movie that starts about one guy, like putting himself through a thing and it being about him, and then realizing the story is much bigger and more interesting than that, and going there. Mm. This movie starts at a big, interesting idea and focuses in on this dude's narcissism, and and like it, it is, it, it it's really frustrating because all of the interesting stuff in this movie is is completely missed by its own uh creator like its own creator is like okay well i guess i have to make this about me no you don't no you don't that uh, i i want to talk a lot in spoilers but um y- yeah you, you know the sad thing about this is there's that other documentary that dave mentioned that's on youtube called always amazing which was being filmed at the same time which is kind of the topic of this documentary a little bit uh that also is not really about Jonathan because I feel like everybody knew that there was multiple documentaries going on. So they all had to pick a unique, uh, interesting angle to it. So none of them actually do the job. Yeah. None of them actually do the job, which is kind of disappointing. I will say this, Jeff, uh, this, you know, I usually disagree with you in, in spoilers and, uh, you know, your whole uh, unsullied thing. But I, <laughs> I, I, if you are listening to this podcast and you are interesting, interested in watching this movie, I would stay away from the trailer because the trailer does give away a lot of the twists and turns of this documentary. But at the same time, I'm wondering, Jeff, if you had to, on the other hand, other side of the coin. <laughs> If Jeff had seen the trailer, if he would have been more expecting and more open to where this movie goes, mm. maybe I, I I don't I haven't watched the trailer, so I don't know what it specifically reveals. But I I do think that if I if if this movie hadn't been called the Amazing Jonathan documentary, if it had been called like 
me masturbating on screen, uh, <laughs> which is what I think it is, um, it, then uh, I think I would be less inclined to want to want to have watched it. I, I, I don't I don't think I mean, at least it would have been honest. Like this movie is dishonest. I think it it, it be it becomes this this masturbatory exercise about this guy sort of dealing with his own feelings of being a failure, uh, which is not at all what, why I clicked play and, and fine. If you want to make that movie be fine, fine, but, but be honest about it. Uh, and you know, I, listen, I have a lot to say in spoilers. Uh, before we do get to spoilers, I do want to talk about our, our next sponsor. If you're listening to this show right now on earphones and those earphones have wires, what are you even doing? Seriously, what are you doing? I used to be you. I know how it is. I know how it is to wear wired earphones and wander around the house listening to my favorite podcasts. And then, oh, maybe I'm doing the dishes and I turn and, oh, that wire gets caught on a, a drawer, on the handle for a drawer, and it pops out of my ear. Ugh. But that's what happens because I'm wearing wired earphones like somebody living in 20, what, 2002? I don't know. I don't know numbers. I'm a guy with earphones that have wires. Not anymore. It's 2019 now. And you can get a great pair of wireless earbuds. And you don't have to spend hundreds of dollars. You don't have to get those super crazy uh, premium ones that are going to make you lose all this money. You can get the same high quality from Raycon. Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market. And they sound just as amazing. I've been using my Raycon E50 wireless earbuds. Uh, I've been using them for several weeks now. And man, I love them. I love how they fit in my ear. They don't have those uh, annoying, you know, little things popping out of them that make you look goofy. Uh, they are very discreet. They fit all the way in the ear. My uh, E50s came with actually a whole a whole suite of different sizes that you can swap in and swap out to maximize the fit in your ear canal, I guess your the holes, your ear holes. Uh, and they look, they, they look awesome. I, I really like them. Actually, my son was like, data, what is that in your ear? And I said, these are my earbuds. And cause I was about to go for a run and he goes, uh, data, those are cool. So my almost three-year-old thinks they're cool. So they must be cool. Uh, and they offer their wireless earbuds uh, in a range of fun colors as well, in addition to an unbeatable price. So go to buyraycon.com slash filmcast to get 15% off your order. That's buyraycon.com slash filmcast. And, and how do you spell that, Jeff, just so people know how to spell that? B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash, and then F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, get you 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. If you've been eyeing a pair, now's the time to get an amazing deal. One more time, buyraycon.com slash filmcast. Throw the wired earbuds out. Get into that wireless future that, that we've all dreamed of. Thanks to Raycon for sponsoring us this week. Let's move on to spoilers for the amazing Jonathan documentary starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Trying to see this coming. No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. 
All right, Jeff, what are some of your grievances with this film? Well, first of all, I want to say the hero of this movie is Mad Chad. <laughs> Mad, Mad Chad is the best person in this entire movie. He, he has the attitude we should all have. Yes. And unfortunately, Ben Berman is too blind to see it even when he puts it in his own movie. And again, I feel bad being so insulting to Ben. I know he was just trying to make the best movie he could make. But in my opinion, he was very wrongheaded about what that movie is. Um, but Mad Chad is a guy who was making a documentary about Amazing Jonathan actually well before Ben Berman started. And when he finds out that other people are making documentaries of Amazing Jonathan, he doesn't pout and throw a fit and think that everything is over and what am I going to do and woe is me. He just says, oh, that's going to make my, me have to make my documentary even better which is what I wish Ben would have decided because that's what a, an adult would do would, would say, Hey, I'm just going to make the best documentary I can be. So mine stands out on its merits instead of crawling up my own ass and talking to my mom and dad and all my friends and, and, and having these long shots of me being sad and then doing stupid shit that makes no sense at all. Like smoking meth for, for no reason. There's literally no payoff to that at all. It is just a completely masturbatory exercise that is supposed to make us feel like he's doing something impactful or, or self-sacrificing and yet literally doesn't even do the, the stated goal, which was to get footage of, of raising Jonathan doing drugs on camera. He doesn't even accomplish that because he's a coward and won't put himself on camera doing it. So Jonathan was right. Like do it so that you won't put me on camera. It's so literally every decision in this movie to, to me feels like the most wrongheaded decision. And the one that is only about how the filmmaker himself feels, which I don't care about. I don't want to, I, I I'm here because your subject really is interesting. So don't meander off and decide that you are more interesting than your subject because you aren't. All right, Jeff, I think you're being a little bit unfair, if yeah. I may. If I may. Um, so I, to, to be perhaps. explicit about it, right, the movie uh, kind of runs into this phenomenon where multiple other people are making documentaries about The Amazing Jonathan, right? Like the filmmaker discovers, oh, hey, there's a second and then a third documentary crew making documentaries about The Amazing Jonathan. And then at some point in the past, there was a fourth as well. Yeah. And, and they're all covering the same thing at the same time. Yeah, which is Jonathan's kind of recovery and comeback story, right? Um, here's what I do. Here's where I do agree with you, Jeff. Is that Chad is the hero of the story? He is the best character in the whole film. Um, he is pure of heart, and he is very good at juggling chainsaws. Right? <laughs> he and, behaves like a a well-adjusted yes uh, yes completely person, you know, adult. Because because uh, at one point Ben, the director of this movie, confronts Chad and is like, "Oh hey, I'm I'm really sorry if I was you know like encroaching on your territory or whatever." And Chad's like, "What? Like it, it, it's like didn't even occur to Chad to be bothered yes, by it right? because it's like grow up, dude. This is the <laughs> fucking world. Yeah, there's a the sequence in this movie that I hate the most is is the sequence where he gets the footage from Nikki who had been working on a documentary and abandoned it. And he juxtaposes that with his footage to show that amazing Jonathan tells the same stories. Yes. F 
fucking human beings tell the same stories. <laughs> You're not, there's no grievance there. You're not being played. Human I, I, beings have, have anecdotes and stories and things, and they tell them to multiple people. I didn't grow I the didn't, fuck well, up. Man. I, I didn't interpret Wait, it as a grievance though. That's the thing is like, I oh, interpreted it. It's presented as like, Oh my God, look, it's no, look I, what I, he's doing. And then he I interviews like the he, guy, and the guy's like, yeah. I mean, he interviews Chad, and, and Chad's like, yeah, you know, he's mm-hmm. a smart guy. He knows how to tell the same story multiple times. <laughs> no, I, I think the thing that he's presenting is it, there are moments where you think you're getting a unique story that's coming off, like, yeah. the seat of his hand. Off the cuff. You, you think off you're getting, cuff. like, oh, my gosh, what a what a great insight I've just gleaned from this celebrity. You know, it's amazing. I, I was able that's to capture this. Dude, that's what you do at a dinner party. I'm going to tell you, I, I've done that on this show many times. I've told you guys stories that I've told other people. And Are I've you told kidding you me, Jeff? Way. How dare you? How but dare that's you? That's what we do as human beings. That's, that's, that is called relating life stories. It's not, I'm not telling you something that I'll never tell anyone else ever I, again. I will, say, I will say, looking at this from like maybe a journalistic perspective, it is shitty. If your source is out there, like basically giving literally the same quotes, like if you're working on something <laughs> and trying to have like a unique perspective, I, I think the main problem with this movie is not Ben. It is Jonathan. The problem with this movie think, is Jonathan. Yeah. You don't think that when you interview a tech person, they're being interviewed by 50 other. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. But if I'm making the one documentary about that person, if I'm having like an exclusive story and meanwhile, they're giving me the same quotes they've, they've mentioned in other interviews. That's shitty. No, you call that out because that's not the agreement. Well, he, he doesn't know if that was the agreement. Like, Jonathan's position through this entire movie is absolutely defensible. Yes. And, and, and that's what agree. makes the ending so, so infuriating to me is that Ben makes himself out like a hero at the end of this movie for doing something that he should never even have had to do because it's not his place to do it. And I hate it. Uh, but, and I, I apologize for being so heated about this. And I know I'm making it sound very personal and I don't ever like doing that about filmmakers, but I found this movie to be offensive on that level. Um, because Jonathan, like there's a moment where, where Ben decides that because he interpreted facts wrong, then Jonathan must be lying to everyone because it can't possibly be the case that Ben is thinking about things wrong. And it can't possibly be the case that if he said something to Ben that is inaccurate, that he's not then also lying to the rest of the world. Because Ben seems to be incapable of not thinking of himself as a placeholder for everyone in the world. And and it's, it is extremely frustrating. Like, it's clear that Amazing Jonathan was told something by someone else about these Academy Award-winning filmmakers being... Yeah. Involved, And he's just relaying that information. But Ben interprets that because he feels he's been so aggrieved by by these other groups swarming in when all Jonathan is saying is, hey, multiple people want to make documentaries about me. Yes. Why would I say no? I don't know if you'll ever finish yours. I don't know who you are. You asked me to make a documentary. I said, yes, these guys asked me to make a documentary. You don't think a, a documentary crew after the fact, after he's making his documentary and he agrees to be in their documentary right. and also says, I'm going to give you the lead time. Like Ben's documentary will have to come off out I, after yours. Like that. I'm feels... not sure how you guys can say this is all defensible. This is, I, this is shitty human behavior. Like, here's the thing. Like if it's an agreement to like, Hey, you're going to make a movie about me. Cool. If, if you are not satisfied with what that person is doing, if you want somebody else to come in, 
I, I do think you can have the human conversation and be like, hey, listen, we're going to get another crew in here because I am losing faith in your project and we're going to do it that way. But not just have them like, not just like drop the info on them. Oh, hey, there's another crew. Hey, there's a third crew. Hey, there's like this other documentary that was happening like four years ago. Like there, there is no communication here. And it all stems from Jonathan. No, that, that, is, that is on Ben. Honestly, if you if you want the exclusive rights to someone's life story, you need to talk to them about that and, and, and negotiate that as you begin your project. I, if, if someone says, hey, Jeff, I want to interview you, I don't have to say, well, I have three other interviews lined up or there's yeah. two other podcasts that are going to talk to me. It's not my fucking responsibility. That is if you if you're so precious about your your little story that you can't have somebody else tell the same story, then you it's on you to make sure that person's not talking to anybody else. Jonathan is well within his rights. The dude has a year to live. If 16 people come to him and say I want to film your life, why not say yes? Yeah. I, it's not shitty behavior in my I, opinion. I, I, so I, I think it is uh, – I think many things can be true in everything you guys are saying. I, I think that uh, – I agree that with Jeff that it's completely defensible. Like, Devinder, you're saying that's not the agreement. I, I don't know that uh, Ben made an agreement with Jonathan that he would be the exclusive purveyor of Jonathan's story. If he did yeah, – you're, you're right. You're right. If we he don't did, know, then Jonathan but... is in the wrong. But I don't think that happened, right? I, I, and, I think the bad point is where he gives the other people a – you know, a lead of like, this yes. is the documentary yeah. that's going to come out. Yeah, yeah. So, so that said, Jeff, right? Like Jonathan is actively shitty to Ben in, in the, uh, documentary, uh, in this documentary that we watched. And like, I do think that's not super cool. Right. Cause he's like, basically like kind of insulting Ben to his face during one of the scenes when they're in the car together and being like, yeah, like this other one should come out first. You know, you can kind of like ride the coattails of that one. It's like, Ooh, that is hard to hear. Um, at the same yeah, time. Uh, yep. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. At, the, at the same time, I, I do think that uh, you are right. Like, there's nothing that says that um, y you can't uh, give your story to many people, and there's nothing in particular. Um, documentary filmmaking is not exactly uh, the most stable industry, and so you you have no idea which one of these is even ever going to get done. I don't think Chad's documentary is even out in the world yet at this point, right? So it's like yeah, and and Nikki's Nikki was the very first person evidently to start this, and she abandoned hers for. Who knows why? So he's already had the experience of someone saying, I want to make a documentary about you and then abandoning it. Yeah. So I, 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 I don't know. I, I feel like again, yeah. again, a human would be like, OK, I'm getting into this project again. I've been burned once. Here are all my you know, here's what's on the table. I don't want to repeat this experience. Like I, that is the no, way I, you enter a project. I, I, I dis okay. You're right. Again, Devinger, I agree that he could have treated it better. We don't know, really the full extent of Jonathan and Ben's interactions about this. Like you have this phone call where he's like, it's going to be fun having two crews around. And is that really right, all that right. there was in terms of communication? We don't right. know. Um, but I think that uh, the idea that like, okay, hey, this guy who's never, like Devendra, if some guy came to you who's never made a documentary before, was like, I want to make a documentary. And then another guy comes up to you who is an Academy, you think that they're an Academy Award winning documentary filmmaker. Are you really going to say no to the new guy because of an agreement you already made with the first guy? You know, no, like but, uh, here, here's the thing. I'm talking about like human, like human conversations, human communication about dealing with these things. Yeah, there are no hard and fast rules. You can be just as you know. You could do exactly what Jonathan did. I just think that's that's bad form. That's not how you communicate with things like this. And by the way, it's not like Ben is is inexperienced in this field. Like he he has been involved in a lot of like agreed, comedy agreed. shows and things for a while. He's not a newbie. 
And honestly, like he's also, yeah, not somebody lying about his technical affiliation to an Oscar. But he's also not his friend. And he this is a a, this is a guy who is coming into his life and and. Jonathan has no idea how he's going to be portrayed. In fact, a lot of what he does in this movie is trying to defend himself from portrayals that he would not find to be uh, appropriate. And so this guy is coming into his life. He has no, uh, he has no code about how he is going to use the footage. He's going to make the best movie he can make. And if it makes you look like a piece of crap, they'll make you look like a piece of crap. Right? So he, I, I don't understand. You, you talk about like being a human being. I don't, it didn't seem to me like he was keeping any information from Ben. He was fully out in the open about how there were about three crews. other documentaries. <laughs> he was not out in the open about anything. Well, when he's, I mean, he didn't say, Hey, I just want you to know there's other documentaries, which maybe he could have, but, but when shouldn't you do that, that's like, what you should do. <laughs> this is not. Oh my God. I, look, I don't like think if I'm going to a movie junket to interview people, I, I go there under the assumption that I'm one of many interviews. Exactly. exactly. But, but okay. But you're going to a movie junket. If you call up Christopher Nolan and you say, Hey, Christopher Nolan, can I interview you? Christopher Nolan doesn't go, well, I, I have three other interviews scheduled today. So I just want you to know, I may no, be saying the no, same things diff- to all it's of them. Very different. Like again, an and interview is very different than being like, I'm going to dedicate, you know, months, maybe years of my life to creating a documentary about you. Yeah, you're That's right. No, we don't you. know. We don't know the relationship they had or like whatever agreements exclusive exclusivity there was. But here's the thing. When you make that commitment, I think, to any project, uh, you kind of assume like you're getting something unique. And mm. I, I, don't, I think disagree, well, disagree 100 percent with everything you're saying, Devinder. But sorry, yes. I didn't mean to interrupt. Finish what you're saying. I mean, here, here's the thing, Dave. Like, it, didn't you have sort of this experience, too? Of like working with somebody as a documentary maker. Yes, and I did. And at no point did I ever, at no point did I ever expect that Stephen would like, uh, Stephen Tobolowsky, who I made the primary instinct with, would ever restrict his stories to only our work together. I mean, he's written books, he's given interviews, he's done speeches at conferences. It's all. You guys made that podcast. You guys, that podcast, you know, led to the movie. If he was telling those same stories, like in the same way, if like other movies existed with the same things, those things would be less valuable. They would not be as new. If he brought in another filmmaker in the midst of you making, you know, the primary instinct, I think, I don't think you'd be happy about that. And certainly if he didn't tell you. I, I mean, I, I I disagree with what you're saying. I think that, like, as I've tried to say, as I was trying to say, he has, he, as I'm trying to say, like, he has done his stories in other places and other venues, many of them completely divorced from any of my work because they're his stories. They belong to yes. him. And, yes. and like, I respect that that's, like, it's his prerogative to do with his stories whatever he wants. And so I actually showing- agree with Jeff that, like, y- you have no claim to the unique story of the Amazing Jonathan in this movie. Like, I'm not saying it's- he has a claim to the story, but he has a claim to, like, that relationship. You're, right? you're so- no, I think that's ridiculous. I think that's ridiculous. But I think, but here, this spirited conversation, I think, yeah. is actually a good, th- to me, Jeff, this it actually proves that the movie, the movie contributes yeah. something to the conversation because what this movie is really about, as I said, is how hard it is to make a documentary about a person. Um, well, who owns that story? How do you make the story unique? Like These are all really huge challenges that this movie tries to grapple with. And maybe it doesn't do a very good job of it, but at least it tries in a way that most movies don't, right? Um, the, the other thing is we get a ton of movies that are about the making of 
feature films of narrative feature films and you never really get a behind the scenes of the making of a documentary right and i feel like th- this is like one of the few times that we get to see the struggle of a documentary filmmaker and yes we might not like that filmmaker you, you might have issues with what he's doing and how he's doing it um but i think uh i don't know it, it's it, i like it for that aspect more than I like it for a aspect of it being about a magic personality that I grew up with. Right. And, and to be clear, you said, I don't like the filmmaker I, I has nothing to do with it. And I, and I, I'm being passionate and uh, spirited about my criticisms of this yeah. movie, but it has nothing to do with whether I like him or not. He, he seems like a fine person. And I, I think he made some very wrongheaded decisions here and it made a movie that infuriated me because of it, but I, I'm not judging his character or, or him as a person. I do want to call uh, out one thing you said, Jeff, uh, that I thought was interesting, right? Which is uh, that the, um, how do you say, the incentives of the subject of the documentary are often not aligned with the incentives of the documentarian. It reminds me of Janet Malcolm's uh, book, The Journalist and the Murderer, and her the opening line of that book is, every journalist who is not too stupid or too full of himself to notice what is going on knows that what he does is morally indefensible, end quote. And uh, it's, it, I mean, you know, it's, it's very extreme, it's oft-quoted, but the, the fundamental idea is that, like, journalism in some ways preys upon people. It preys upon people's uh, weaknesses or willingness to divulge things, and often uses that against their own interests. Now, it can it can use things for people's interests. It can change lives for the better. It can help keep our democracy in a good state. You know, like there's many positive things it can do. But it can also often also um, expose people's weaknesses and you know make money off them. And that's uh, you, I, I think that's a great point you're making about like you just don't know what kind of documentary he's gonna make. And so if you have the opportunity to get three documentaries out there, you as a subject, I feel like that's your right and. Why wouldn't you? It's it's just good judgment, in my opinion. Yes. Um, have, how, you, how many other examples of this situation have there been, by the way? Like, I feel like this would be something that would happen more often if it were so, I don't know, accepted. There have been many documentaries made of, like, popular people. So, for instance, within the like, same Within the same, like, time frame is the thing. I mean... Within I, a couple I, years of each other. So, like, um, I think off the top of my head, um, Ai Weiwei's movie, Never Sorry... Which came out in 2012, and then there was another documentary that came out about him as well, um, more recently. Um, the uh, he's he's like a Chinese artist that is very yeah, yeah. P- politically provocative. Um, you know, like he's 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 a popular guy that many people want to make documentaries of. I mean, I, I think people are constantly making documentaries of him. Is my sense. Um, but the biggest shame to me about this is that. The Amazing Jonathan is a fascinating personality, and his what he's going through is fascinating. And this movie that is 90 minutes long spends less than half of it giving a shit about it because this guy gets so butthurt about you know somebody else doing the same movie that he just spins off. It's like, grow up, man. Like, make a better movie about the thing you wanted to make a movie about. Well, I, we, I think that – so, a couple of things. First of all, so, Devinger, like, Iowa is a, a good example. And I think right. the problem that Jeff has alluded to is you just don't know when these documentaries are going to come out. Like, 
some sure, can take sure. five years, some can take ten years. So the but idea that also, like just because by the way, it is dependent on the subject. Here's the thing: like I can understand why he's annoyed because then that subject's you know uh, attention is being focused on another project. Like I'm not saying he owns the story or anything, but it did seem like they were working on something together. I could see why he's annoyed. I don't think he went about like dealing with it in the best way. Although the I love the the scene of him like just hiding at the what was it the Vancouver. A film festival yeah. or something like hiding in the audience <laughs> with a hoodie watching the other one paying some guy to like go ask the questions that stuff is good i like seeing like that nitty-gritty but here's the thing when you have when your subject is not cooperating with you anymore um i don't know if it's entirely because of his behavior or if it's because he's focusing more on the other crew you don't have a project anymore you don't have a movie you don't have an article like, here's the thing. And you can go off and make your own spin on that. Like, I'm thinking of, like, the uh, the famous Gay Talese piece, right? Like, Frank Sinatra has a cold, right? Like, you can do a profile around a person without their direct, like, uh, participation sometimes. And this one just didn't quite... This one focused more on, like, the difficulty of, like, why this project was not happening and how, you know, how yeah. he felt. I, I think, that, again, you know, this movie is very much like yesterday, the Danny Boyle movie. Like, it... it raises all these interesting possibilities and ideas doesn't really do a great job of exploring them but i think you bring up a good point that like what do you do when your subject is no longer cooperative right and this movie kind of approaches that a little bit but but it does kind of hint at all the other documentaries you've seen that it's implied that oh on some level the documentarian is probably on good terms with the subject and like that means that you can't really confront them in any meaningful way you can't really say anything bad about them or else they'll just say hey i'm not doing the project anymore and um and jeff ultimately you know all this stuff is about how difficult it is to tell a unique story why did he think about smoking meth on camera why did he dive into his own history of um, obsession with death and documenting death. Like, why did he do all these things? He, he he's desperately grasping at straws to make something that is unique compared to everything that everything else, everyone else is making. And the the documentary is about how hard that is. And uh, you may not think that he succeeded in making something unique. Unique. And I, I would agree that like. I think the problem with the the final payoff in this movie of him getting Simon Chin to sign on the movie is like I didn't even know that that was something that was going to solve the problem. At right? Like, it shouldn't. It why? Didn't. Why does that dumb. make this movie good? Like that doesn't. The movie is unchanged. It's still the same movie. Just because this guy has signed on as EP doesn't mean like oh the problem is and yeah. like. It's well, not it, as... it does kind of kill the other projects, doesn't it? Because of that, like this movie's no. on Hulu. The other one's free on YouTube. He just like, pats himself on the back. It's just like a oh well, I made up for being a real ass in front of Jonathan, and and I I did this good thing, and then the movie ends. The last shot of the movie is him, right? And well, him and Jonathan. But by the way, like that, like it, divulging that fact that he actually got the producer on was 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 the thing that made Jonathan go like, hey, oh, this is happening. He actually has is like that's that gets him back on board the project. Let, so I, let me I pitch wonder, something. Yeah, let me pitch something meant. to you, Dave. If Here's what could have happened, in my opinion. Uh, just one example of something that may may have happened that I think would have been a much more adult way of handling this and would have made for a much better movie. Let's say you do have this existential crisis. You do have this, this uh, feeling of, oh my God, how am I going to make my movie unique and interesting? Maybe for half a second, you think about the subject of your movie who is also an artist, who maybe at some point in their life went through something similar. Oh, and what about the fact 
that he is one of the most unique performers in his medium ever and did create something not like anybody else. And you have unfettered access to him. Why not make a movie about even even put yourself in it? But if you have this crisis of like, hey, how do I make this unique? Talk to Jonathan about how he made his career unique. What were the steps he got to to be a personality that stood out? And then you have a movie that's actually about your subject instead of about you, which is so infuriating to me. It's like it. it, it I'm sorry. I, no, it it's, just, it's cool. The, I, I appreciate the passionate conversation. All I around. get it. I get it. Yeah. What? But what if? What if Jonathan is just like I'm? I'm not working with you anymore. Like that. That. That's what happened in this movie. Yeah, it does. It you does feel like it does feel like it's, it becomes harder and harder to get the access that he wants as the movie goes on. That's, this is all about. That's what it yeah. feels like in the movie. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and that he, the guy, the, uh, the director is like flailing at the end. Uh, I don't know that, um, uh, so Devendra, it sounds like the searching for sugar man guy, Simon Chin was, uh, he was mistaken. Like Jonathan was completely mistaken. That guy was not at all involved yeah. with the other documentary, that, that documentary, except, except for that little bit in the, in yes, the, credits. except for that little bit in the credits, but like that documentary was Which just was, like, it seems an, like an honest mistake, maybe exaggerated by the other crew trying to get a little yes. bit of, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Literally has nothing to do with Jonathan lying or making a prank. Or it is completely honest mistakes all the way around that are blown way it out of is proportion. Understanding, by the way, but it is also again here. I think it is on Jonathan to to talk to the other crew and be like, "Oh yeah, how are you related to the production of you know searching for Sugarman and Man on Wire? Can I can you prove?" You're actually, you know, associated Why? with these producers. I don't understand. If somebody comes to me and says, "Jeff, we want to interview you," uh, I'm from uh, not just USA Today. It's not just like, an interview. An interview takes thirty minutes, maybe an hour. Like these, these are long running projects. So uh, what? Day, he, doesn't have any, he does not owe these people anything. They're asking something of him. Yeah. No, he, I'm saying again, again. What I'm I think you're brushing off Jonathan, his responsibility here. Yeah, Jonathan like, had the responsibility to say like. Are you actually, you know, uh, associated with this Oscar-winning producer? And he didn't. And I, then I, he had zero responsibility. Yeah, I agree. He had zero. Like, if he wants to be reckless with how he gives tells his story, I think that's completely fine. I agree with Jeff on this one. Are so you, wait, 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 wait a minute here. I'm not going to let this pass just because <laughs> it's insane to me, guys. Like, yes, this is a miscommunication. It kind of led to the the first downfall of this relationship with Ben and everything, and like the the, the faltering of this documentary. But it is like. If it's not on Jonathan, it's on his manager. Certainly, it's on the people who are like around Jonathan. But I think at the end of the day, like the 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 host is in charge. The subject is in charge of their own story. They can approve, like they can deign access or refuse access to whoever they want. This all kind of revolves around them. So at the but very least, at the very least, he he had some sort of like I don't know responsibility to say like, are you actually? An Oscar-winning no, production. No, I, just, I don't agree. What? Yeah, don't agree. Disagree completely. Uh, like, he, why, if why? he wants to give his story to a guy with a typewriter on the side of the street, he can do that. Like, it doesn't... He can do that. Yes, but... He certainly do that, but he's... He yeah, took... I, I agree yeah. he should have been less shitty to Ben. I agree that he should have been more mature about it and been more communicative based on what we see in the film. But I don't think that he needed to know 100% of the facts when he's giving, deciding way, where to give his story to. By the way, if you know Amazing Jonathan, if you watch this other documentary on him, you'll see he likes to fuck with people like <laughs> to a level that 
like seems real and it isn't. And I'm not a hundred percent sure that there's moment like those moments where he's being shitty right. to Ben are not like it's crazy. Kind of out of context. David yeah, Chen, I, I honestly interpret question here. How long did it take you to buy that damn TV? How many months <laughs> of research and going back and forth and like, you know, uh just waiting, just like finding the right moment? That's a TV. Yeah. That's not that's not people making a movie about your life story. I think I, there is I, I prefer to do a lot of research about my TV, just like maybe you prefer to research people who are uh, <laughs> going to tell your life story. You know, like I, I think, it doesn't mean I that you have a responsibility to do that. Uh, it doesn't mean that if you don't like it, it it's dumb not to do it. It's uh, dumb to uh, not research where, where the producers are from. Not to do that. But it's not like I, you have to do it or else you're dishonoring people. Like, I don't. I don't agree with that. So, um, but, but, you know, again, can, can, can I yeah, say one about, more thing? Yeah, yeah go well, ahead. Just real quick Peter, about what you said. I, I told in, in the context of the movie, even I interpreted those moments as ribbing as, as like, you, you know, not, not as, uh, being as shitty as you guys may interpret it. I saw that as Jonathan, like ribbing him in real time, like walked out of the interview. Well, not that part, but but like when he's like, well, "Hey, it's going to be fun to have two documentaries around, right?" Like that's ribbing. Yeah, yeah. that's ribbing. Rib- is is ribbing. you didn't get a, 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 an Academy Award? How many Academy Awards do you have? That's that's just <laughs> you know ribbing. Yeah, I think. that's ribbing. Yes, at the end. Peter, we'll give no, you the no. last word because we got to wrap up here. I, I don't disagree with what a lot of Jeff's criticisms. I feel though, and I think you guys talked about this a few months back on the podcast. I do feel like Jeff is criticizing the movie for not being the movie he wanted it to be and not criticizing the movie he got. Well, I'm criticizing it for not being the movie that Ben's <laughs> intended. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, o- o- Odie Henderson at RogerEbert.com wrote the following. Hulu's amazing document- uh, Jonathan documentary is my least favorite kind of movie, one that pretends to be about the famous celebrity in the title, but instead uh-huh. focuses on the far less interesting non-celebrity sharing the screen. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I think that's like, that's a legit complaint. If your documentary is called the amazing Jonathan documentary and the documentary is not about amazing Jonathan, I think you have a legit beef with the movie. So that's my beef. Yeah, that's my beef. But in any case, uh, appreciate all the passionate discussion. And, uh, I actually think I actually look more fondly on the movie now after having this conversation, because we clearly all disagree very passionately about some of the yeah. things that the movie brings up. And I think any movie that can create that kind of disagreement uh, is playing with like big ideas, potentially in a smart way. In this case, maybe a mix of smart and not so smart. But um, appreciate all of you guys and like the uh, the intensity that you're bringing to the conversation. And uh, I do think, yeah, it, as with all of you, I mean, with the exception of Jeff, I actually found the documentary to be pretty entertaining all the way through. I was like kind of like interested to see what would happen. So um, that's... I would also just... It, Real Go quick, ahead. I just want to say, if there's any chance that Ben is listening, <laughs> I I apologize, and I don't. I don't. He just sat there through the whole. Yeah, through the whole. If there's thing. any chance, he's still here. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is our review of the Amazing Jonathan documentary. Yeah. Stay tuned for Peter Soretta's interview with Ben, which is going to come right after uh, this podcast episode. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. Until then, Peter Soretta, where can I find more of your work on the internet? 
You can find me at SlashFilm.com. I run a daily movie news podcast called Slash Film Daily, which you can find on your podcast app that you're listening to this on. And I've started a YouTube channel called Ordinary Adventures alongside my girlfriend, Ketra. And we're going to theme parks, movie events, magic, all sorts of fun and interesting things. Please come join us. For this adventure, uh, find just search Ordinary Adventures on YouTube or YouTube.com slash Ordinary Adventures. Uh, I like it, to think of, of Peter's Ordinary Adventures show as uh, FOMO, the show. Because <laughs> <it> is, <laughs> that's how I feel when I watch it. It's a great uh, way to look at it. Uh, how about you, Devendra Hardware? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra. I write about tech and gadgets.com and doing that tech show at nomortech.net. Jeff Kanata? Hey, if you want to uh, be as passionate uh, about uh, hating something I make, uh, you can watch me actually make something. I put I put my money where my mouth is, and I'm actually making something, I'm not just talking about things other people make. I'm actually making something. I'm I'm creating a story that is uh, I like to think as as complex and uh, interesting as a Game of Thrones. So I just threw my stuff on the table for you to uh, skewer me. Check out the dungeon run where that is happening. I'm I'm a a dungeon master playing a live role-playing game, uh, and I'm making it all up as we go, and I'm really proud of it. So if if you want to check it out, you can find that on YouTube. It's The Dungeon Run, uh, or as an audio podcast. Uh, It's actually really fun to listen to as an audio podcast because it plays sort of like an audio book. The Dungeon Run audio podcast. Or you can watch it live Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time on caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. I also do a video game podcast called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. I'm doing a show called Culturally Relevant, where I interview filmmakers and authors. You can find it at culturallyrelevantshow.com. And I'm also doing a podcast recapping Succession each week. Find that at successionpodcast.com. Next week, we'll be reviewing Ready or Not, which to all intents and purposes looks like a movie based on hide-and-go-seek. I'm looking forward to seeing how deadly a game of hide-and-go-seek can become. Uh, and that's it for the Slash Filmcast this week. Uh, again, what follows will be uh, Peter's interview with Ben Berman, the director of the Amazing Jonathan documentary. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks for the good, bad. It's the Slash Filmcast. For all the news and the movies coming out, because you know that it's the thing worth talking about. How you doing, Ben? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. How real is this movie? Like, what is real and what is not? Um, It's all fake. No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I love that question. And I love, you know, in basically every, the majority of Q&As, sometime in in the Q&A, someone will ask, well, okay, we know that, like, your history, or we, you know, we say that your history is in like comedy, TV, and scripted stuff, and this is your first doc, and it's all about what's real and what's not, and how can we believe you? <laughs> like, how can this this all seems totally unrealistic, yeah, un- unbelievable? Why would we believe this? And you're and also I, coming off after uh, you know catfish and those kind of sure, things yeah, 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 questions. Oh, was catfish questioned? Yeah, when people questioned the the reality of it. Yeah. Um, no, I yeah. This this is a documentary. This is real. Um, it, you, I, if the question is how can you believe it, uh, you just have you know, or I don't. It, that's up to you. Yeah, <laughs> that's up to the audience. But um, no, it's 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 a real doc, and uh, I love that even after the movie's done, 
the movie continues into the conversation <laughs> with the audience or, or into the, the audience's questions, you know? Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. What's real, what's not. That's what I was searching for in the making of the movie, in the movie, behind the scenes, in the scenes. And then to have that continue is, is kind of awesome. It's interesting. It starts up and it says um, everything in this film is strictly based on the available facts. Now, if you go watch um, F for Fake, Orson Welles' F for Fake, I totally just ripped that off. Like oh. his, that movie starts with the exact same title card. And I was like, I'm, I'm taking that. That's awesome. Because it, it relates. And, and by the way, F for Fake is also was you know, presented as a documentary about frauds and, and trickery and, and fakes, right? Yeah. And ultimately, not to spoil it, you, know, you, you end up questioning what's real, what's not. Yeah. How, how did you discover Amazing Jonathan? Did you, have a, like, did you see him as a, a kid on TV? Or? Yeah. Yeah, that, I, I, uh, I became aware of Jonathan when I was like 12 or 13 years old and just simply through television, uh, his Comedy Central specials and maybe, you know, some maybe one or two late night shows or something if I was allowed to stay up or something. So, yeah, I, I definitely was aware of Jonathan's act. And he was I always say that he's kind of the perfect thing for a 13 year old boy. He's gory and he's crazy yeah. and obnoxious and loud and and you know uh, he's just this crazy kind of personality that just captures the imagination of a young 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 boy at, at that time. So I was I was I was aware of his stuff. I liked his his act and uh, and that's that's how I got to know about him. Yeah, and you you've been doing comedy TV and you did some uh, short at Sundance. Forget how did you how did this come about? How did a documentary? Because I I don't think you've done much documentary before this, right? Um, yeah, my, historically my my career, um, yeah, has been in comedy television, uh, editing, directing, um, yeah, comedy TV. Um, always since college, since Temple University, became. Uh, interested in make in documentary filmmaking, uh, you know the films of D. A. Pennybaker and the Maisel's brothers. You know these like sixties, seventies verite docs, direct cinema uh, documentaries. I was like, I saw those, and I had we had a uh, professor at, at Temple. His name was his name is David Perry, who was this kind of really interesting kind of burnout older professor, but he he taught documentary, and I was like, oh, you can be kind of this weird kind of bumbling guy and this artist he was more of an artist than like and i really responded to that i was like oh, i want to be a doc guy like that's art it's not like hollywood movie making it's like <laughs> okay you're, you yeah. can really do something here it's really beautiful so um in college i made a short documentary about um a m m musician who was retiring his name was adam and his package this kind of one-man band really unique uh, act and, and guy and I made a doc about him and it was like okay but I was like a film student so it wasn't great um and, but yeah and it's always, your fascination with endings I know I know yeah but I, I <laughs> maybe we there's uh something to unpack there uh <laughs> maybe yeah um and maybe it's like that's just storytelling like you know at the end of something now you got to tell the story because it's not going to be happy you want to like it's the last waltz done, yeah you know Okay, you're done as a band now. You, let's have Scorsese document that because it's all all going away. So, how did uh, Amazing Jonathan come into your life as a subject? When, like in 2016, I was working on a uh, a pilot for Comedy Central, and the host of that show 
uh, this guy Justin Willman is this magic comedian, younger magic comedian. And I was in the writer's room one day just visiting, and him and some of his other younger magician writer friends were talking about The Amazing Jonathan. And I was like, oh, I remember that guy. And they mentioned that he was ill and uh, he was doing some really kind of heavy drugs. And and they told me at the time that he was maybe giving away magic tricks to younger magicians. And I thought that was really beautiful. Like a magician con- confronted with their mortality, giving away their act so their act can live on, which actually ended up not being exactly a fact. Um, <laughs> but, but I was like, okay, all that, like, that could that's interesting. That could make for an interesting what I thought at the time was like a 15 minute, 20 minute short, you know, verite doc on, on Jonathan, Jonathan, this magician being confronted, confronting with reality, with mortality and, you know, dealing with that, with both emotion and, and, and sincerity, but also like dark humor. Like I I love that. Yeah. And then you meet with him and decide to do it on his final tour. Yeah. Um, Well, well we meet, we meet up, uh, we start filming that day. That's the day he invited me to smoke to to watch him smoke meth. Like it was like out the gate. Oh really? Like, oh yeah. It was literally within forty minutes, an hour of meeting him. That's what was going on. <laughs> he was like, "Yeah, you want to watch?" And I was like, "I don't know." Um, but uh, so it all moved quick. Um, and then I was filming him for six months before the other crew kind of entered into his life. When that other crew entered in, was there ever a moment where you're like, you know, we're just gonna scrap like you know i know you put all this work in but there's this other crew they have awesome they have oscars yeah Yeah. oh oh, was i ever when i learned of the other crew was i considering giving up absolutely that that was the choice that that was the fork in the road it was okay do i give up because i can't compete with academy award winning (laughs) doc documentarians yeah i'm an amateur you know I, i do i give up or if i continue what, what, you know, do, do I have to make this part of the story, allow that narrative to be part of the narrative of, of the documentary? And as a documentarian, I think documentaries are mediums that seek the truth and show the truth, the whole truth, yeah. uh, as much as you can. So it would almost be unethical for me to continue and not allow that to be part of the story. Yeah. So that's what we did. Well, it's interesting. Jonathan... As a magician, was pretty much like he, in many ways, deconstructed magic. Yes. And your documentary is deconstructing a documentary. That's what I've been telling all these other jokes. Oh, have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that's exactly that's exactly what I think. Um, I didn't that and and uh, that wasn't a conscious thought at that time. But yeah. deep into the making of this movie, later than that, later than just the second crew coming in, I I realized that sentiment and we push that further if jonathan's act he doesn't just do a magic trick he will deconstruct a magic trick and and you know mess it up for comedic value or for some other purpose you know other entertainment purpose it's his magic is is meta and deconstructs itself this documentary of course does does the same thing and i think there's both comedic value in the movie there's both comedic value in that and there's a lot of humanity, both in Jonathan and in, you know, the filmmaker. Oh, for sure. And, uh, that must've been, uh, it must've been a tough decision to be like, I'm going to put myself on camera and become a character in this, this film. It certainly wasn't the plan to do that. (laughs) Um, you know, I had been filming for six months and, and never 
had any wishes to be like, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, who, who's a good example? Morgan Michael Spurlock, Moore Michael Moore, yeah. you know, yeah, type or David Ferrier or Louis Thoreau. I'm, I'm not, I'm not that. Um, <laughs> but when I was faced with how do you continue after the other crew came into Jonathan's life to tell the whole truth, see the whole picture, you know, if I'm seeing another crew, that other crew reflects inherently reflects documentary filmmaking. It reflects me as the do, as the documentarian and to tell that, you know, conflict and that whatever came about from that, I, I knew I had to enter into it, but that's really, that was the choice I made and, and knew that was a necessity, but really just wanted to stay on the surface there. A yeah. couple shots of me getting fucked around. Cool. <laughs> audience can laugh at that. Like that's where the plan was to stay. And then of course, as the audience might end up seeing later, we might go a couple steps deeper. But I, I like that you, you from the beginning, it seemed like at least in the movie that you were taping phone calls and there was these conversations with friends and you like you were capturing that journey of like, it could have been a decision that was made off camera, but you kind of, we're able to capture that in the movie. Um, well, you d- you definitely don't. We weren't able to capture that moment where I'm like, oh, what if yeah. I was to do that? I think that's okay. I think it works. Um, but yeah, no, I was very much recording uh, conversations <laughs> with friends and family uh, and Jonathan, of course. But again, with everyone's consent, yeah, yeah. you know, on, we were on the right side of the law with all this stuff. Um, but yeah, no, <laughs> early on, I was like. Sometimes just to, you know, be able to take, not have to take notes or something, you know, talking to Jonathan, That's you smart. record it like, like you're doing now. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, I, this movie became a much different animal than you intended to uh, set out to make. Uh, I'm sure you got a ton of great footage that just didn't fit the story. Yes. You know, you have to kill your darlings. Like, yeah. What, what is some stuff that didn't quite make it? There are two things that we, um, that stick out that we shot and I edited and then ultimately took out for, you know, uh, different reasons. One is, um, to prepare for, let's say the conference, a confrontation with Jonathan. I was filmed watching, um, doc, other documentaries <laughs> like, uh, and, and to, to take, to take note of how those, filmmakers confronted their subjects like I needed inspiration because I'm not a I don't like confrontation I'm not good at it so I was just like watching their movie so we watched tickled David Ferrier confronting the the main tickled guy outside of that Starbucks and I was like oh that's really good like he really held his own there I don't know if I could do that he did a great job watched uh, Louis Thoreau confronting um some some uh someone outside of the Scientology area or whatever and wherever that was um so I I really appreciated that because that that really went silly meta. I, I love that it's almost like a Rocky training montage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then there was another one. So a lot of people ask, like, well, you know, how can you believe that Jonathan actually is dying? And they're like, why didn't you go to a doctor to kind of get his doctor and get proof? And, of course, I asked to attend going to the doctor with Jonathan, and, and that access was denied. But what we did do – Was that denied by Jonathan or the doctor? They claim it was denied by the doctor. Okay. Uh, I don't know what's true and what's not, but it, I don't think that's that's <laughs> yeah. that matters too much. Um, I think, but what I did do is in in L.A. on my own went to go see a cardiologist and interviewed. Uh, had an interview with a cardiologist, and the the main drive was supposed to be. <clears throat> 
like finding out like what does meth and meth smoking do to a heart could you know what yeah basically what I wanted to learn about meth and how it could affect your health. I wanted to learn about just cardiomyopathy, which is the thing that the disease that Jonathan uh, has. But ultimately, what we ended up finding in that scene was I basically just have, was talking and asking the doctor about like his thoughts on the current state of documentary filmmaking, like the, where the doc industry is these days. Yeah. So like all the reason that I went there was kind of thrown out the window and I just like, it, it became a very funny scene where you just could see like my obsession getting to me. Like, I can't think straight. I'm just, well, what do you think about doc filmmaking? What about this other crew? You know, like yeah, he's yeah. like giving me advice, like my dad, and my, my friend, John Bugar. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed the film. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. it.